2, 25-29. Romans 2, 25-29. I'll be reading from the ESV version, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the word of God. Richard, thanks for reading God's word to us. Uh, Let's begin our time together. By uh, praying together, let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word to, and by praying, let's, let's join our hearts in prayer. Gracious Father, we come to you humbly, acknowledging that we cannot do for ourselves what you call us to do. And, and so, Father, we come with uh, humble hearts, asking you to work by your Spirit, to do what you alone are able to do in your power. Father, we pray that you would pour your Spirit out upon our hearts, uh, convict, reveal, uh, bring to light uh, what has been hidden in the darkness, help us to see Christ more clearly, that we would be drawn to Him. Oh, Father, we we pray for your work among us. We, we, We ask and plead with you that you would do what only you can do in raising the dead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And one of the things we quickly learn as we grow up in life is that looks can be deceiving. Uh, appearance uh, is not always reality. You know, that you can have the next slide. The, the, the burger that you order that looks so good on the menu doesn't always turn out the way you wish it would. <laughs> appearance is not always the same as reality. Let me tell you a story. Uh, two men walked into a church, one very smartly dressed, like myself, (laughs) sat down in the front and he began to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people whose lives are so messy. You know, I regularly attend church, I'm a member, I do my quiet time every day, I go for two Bible studies every week, I thank you, God, I'm not like other people. The other man, looking rather shabby, uh, tried hard not to be noticed. So he he came to church a bit late because he knew that if he came late, then no one would see him. So he crept in to the worship hall just after the singing started. You know, he wouldn't even sit down, but he stood at the back, very close to the doors. And then he also prayed. God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. And that was the sum total of his prayer. So friends, 
which of these men appeared righteous? And which, but which of these men was really uh, justified, righteous with God? Now, friends, appearances can mislead, right? Looks can be deceiving. Uh, I know from experience because I was once a religious hypocrite myself. And I began attending church, uh, the youth group of a church, some time ago in my late teens. You know, I was quite active in the youth group. I, I got involved, I was serving in various ways, was very enthusiastic in going for youth group every Saturday, and over time became a, a church member myself. So I was regular, I was attending, attending church regularly. I considered myself a Christian, but, but if you could look into my heart at that time, you wouldn't see good stuff. You know, my heart was still very much ruled by my own desires. My heart was still very much ruled by the desires of this world. So outwardly, I had the appearance of being a Christian. You know, I did the right Christian things, right? You, know, you hang up with the right Christian people, you go to church, you attend youth group, all, all the right Christian things. But inwardly, you know, if you could see my heart, there was no real love for the Lord. No, I appeared okay, like a, you know, a good, good young man, you know, kept the rules, so I appeared okay, but the reality was quite different. Friends, you know, we're here, we're well-dressed, well, most of us are. <laughs> we, we may appear well put together on a Sunday, but I, I think the question we need to ask ourselves as we gather week after week is it truly well with our souls? Is it truly well with our souls? So far, we've heard from Romans you know, in our series that the gospel is God's power to save. But who needs to be saved? In Romans 1, we heard that God's wrath is revealed against the ungodly, and against the unrighteous. You know, now, many of, many of us are, are good church-going folks. You know, we, we're here regularly, and we probably wouldn't disagree with what we've heard from Romans 1. We said, yes, Paul, preach it. We, we need to hear stuff like that, you know, clear about sin. We really need to hear, good, you know, we need to hear strong words that condemn sin, that, that talk about God's holiness. So we wouldn't disagree with what Paul says in Romans 1. But the temptation that we face as good, regular, church-going people, is to read and, and hear Romans 1 and think that Romans 1 is not for us. We could read Romans 1 and say, yeah, yeah, preach it, God. I, that's for those people out there. They need the gospel. But compared with them, I'm, 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 actually, I'm actually pretty okay. You know, I, I know I need some grace, but basically I'm pretty okay. I, I'm not that bad. And we could read Romans 1 and, and listen to Romans 1 and become judgmental and even self-righteous as, as we compare ourselves with what we read and think, yeah, I'm, I'm not guilty of all those sins. And we think sin is someone else's problem or sin is a problem outside the church. This is why Paul follows up with Romans 2. This chapter is for religious people. And truth be told, we, we are religious people. In the eyes of the world, we are the ones who are religious because we show up regularly at a religious gathering like this one. 
And in this chapter, as we heard last week, Paul is addressing the Jews who were proud of the fact that they were not like other people. They thought to themselves, well, I, we, we know God's word. We, we can tell right from wrong. You know, sure, surely we belong to God, right? Because we, we have all these religious privileges. Surely we are fine. And the Jews were especially proud of circumcision, this ceremonial ritual that identified them as Jews. Now, friends, churches can also become holy huddles. You know, we can become proud of our religious credentials, of our religious practices. We can become proud of the fact that we are baptized church members. And I think this truth has recently been brought home in, in a particularly powerful and sobering way. I'm not sure if some of you have followed the news in, in, in Christian circles, but in, in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, recently, there was a report by the Houston Chronicle, a newspaper in Texas, that over the past 20 years, there have been 700 cases of sexual abuse in, among, in Southern Baptist churches involving hundreds of leaders and members of Southern Baptist churches. And these cases of abuse have not been dealt with. Friends, this, this is the reality that if we just care about appearances and not care about reality, I, I fear if, if these tragic circumstances will be repeated again and again. You know, we can easily pay more attention to how we appear than who we really are. So Paul tells us in our passage, that's why we need to hear Romans 2. Paul tells us in our passage that we can't keep up appearances. The reality always catches up with us. And he makes two points from this passage, which are really our points for this morning. Number one, being religious will do us no good. And number two, we need God to truly transform us. So let's dive in and think about the first point. Being religious will do us no good. Now, circumcision was very important to the Jews. It was the ceremony by which a male Jew, on the eighth day after his birth, was circumcised and brought into the covenant community. So for the Jews, circumcision was a sign that they belonged to God. And, and truth be told, circumcision was God's idea. You know, God instituted the rite of circumcision in Genesis 17 to be the sign of his covenant with Abraham. You know, God said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be the, a sign of the covenant between me and you. So in God's plan, circumcision was meant to be a good thing. Circumcision was a sign of God's promise to His people, of God's relationship with His people. Now we have to ask, how did something spiritually helpful become so unhelpful? Right? How did something that was intended by God to be a good thing become a bad thing? No, it's because the Jews made circumcision the thing, right? They, they, they took this rite of circumcision that was meant to portray a, a spiritual reality 
and they made this, the form everything. And the Jews began to trust, not in God, but in circumcision. The sign became more important than the substance. Friends, we too have the tendency to drift, you know, to, to begin to base our confidence on the forms rather than the substance. What are some forms? We trust in religious practices. You, know, you could be say, saying the sinner's prayer. And we trust that we are fine because we said the sinner's prayer years ago. We, we could be trusting in our church attendance, in our church membership, in, in baptism, in the fact that we take communion regularly. We, we, we could be trusting in the fact that we know our Bibles, we, we do lots of Bible studies, we enjoy small groups, or we, we could be trusting in the fact that we know the right doctrines, we, we have good theology. Friends, it, it's easy for us to trust in Christianity more than we trust in Christ. And when this happens, we, we can become so preoccupied with the doing that we forget to actually delight in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, as, as Ian preached last week, our Christian life can become a, a performance. Right? He, he talked about hypocrisy, where we are the actors who put on our masks and perform the Christian life. And we, we need to realize that our, our fallen hearts are, are drawn towards being religious. You know, it, there is this legalistic bent in every single one of us. You know, there, there's this inclination in our hearts to want to save ourselves. You know, you think, why, why is self-salvation so attractive? You know, why are, we, why are we so tempted by the false promise of self-salvation? You know, here's why. You think, if, if, I, if I can save myself, if I can do certain things and, and, and be religious in a certain way, then I can receive the glory. You know, I can feel good about myself. I, 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 other people can look at me and say, that's a good person. You know, I, I can receive affirmation and approval from others. I mean, friends, this is why self-salvation is so attractive to our hearts. Because it makes us think that we, we're okay, actually. That, that we are better. You know, it makes us look good in the eyes of others. And we, we can take credit for ourselves. That's how our hearts are kind of bent towards self-salvation. So being religious is actually a means to feed our desire for affirmation and approval. That's what makes self-salvation so attractive to fallen sinners. You know, we, we look good in the eyes of others. But the truth is, God looks deeper than appearances. Right? God, God looks on our hearts. And in the Bible, the heart refers to who we really are on the inside. Right? A few years ago, this cartoon came out, uh, Inside Out. I'm not sure if you've, if you've watched it. It's one of my favorite uh, Pixar cartoons. You know, this, I mean, it's, it's, a kid's, it's a kid's show, but... But this cartoon communicates a very profound truth about human experience. 
right? So this, this show is about this girl called Riley, and then Riley has a tough time moving cities with her parents, so she's really unhappy on the inside, and the parents don't know that. So, so this movie is really about Riley's inner life. You know, so th those are the things that, the, the, the different emotions that are in Riley, right? There's fear, the guy looking really scared, there's disgust, the, the little girl in green, there's joy, and, you, know, you can tell who joy is, there's anger, also quite obvious who anger is, and then there's sadness, also very obvious who sadness is. So these different emotions are going on inside Riley, and, and they are shaping the way Riley acts and responds to life. So, so it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kid's cartoon, but this is a very profound truth that we need to hear. That who we are, what we do, is shaped by who we really are on the inside, the heart. And God looks upon our heart, because the heart really is the center of our person. It, it's the source of our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, and our actions. They all flow out of our heart. So when, when God sees us, God doesn't just want external obedience or, or just conformity to particular religious forms, but what God wants is our heart, all of it. Not just some of our heart, but all of our heart. God wants us to, to know Him, to worship Him with our whole being, inside and out. You know, friends, being religious actually domesticates God. Being religious kind of diminishes God's claim on our lives. You know, being religious actually makes following God manageable by fallen people. You know, true faith means, God, I, I give you my whole heart. That's true faith, right? God, I, I hold nothing back. My whole life is yours. Take it. That's true faith. But being religious compartmentalizes our lives. Being religious says, God, I, I can be religious in a certain way and I can keep these other parts, the, the kind of non-religious parts, I can keep those other parts for myself. Right? So it actually diminishes God's claim on our lives. So I can be religious and still be critical of other people. I can be religious and still be unloving to my wife, my kids and my colleagues at work. I can be religious and still be self-centered as, as I was all those years ago. Why? Because being religious kind of says, this is the religious part of my life. This is what being religious looks like. And the rest of my life is my own. So we may, we may know the right things, say the right things, even do the right things. But, but friends, again, we return to this question. Do we really love God with our hearts? Do we really love God with our hearts? Are, are we merely orthodox? But it is a dead kind of orthodoxy. You know, what, what are some signs of dead orthodoxy? You know, one sign is that we feel spiritually and morally superior and we look down on others who may be struggling. We, we are harsh and critical instead of encouraging. And we get defensive. We, we get defensive if others point out our faults because we think that we are good people. That's one sign of dead orthodoxy. Another sign is that we know better than we live. 
right? Our, our Bible knowledge is disconnected with our lives. We have theory, but no practice. You know, we love Bible study, but what we don't love so much is being challenged or changed by the Word of God. We hear, but we don't do. We learn without living and without loving. And friends, when, when we have knowledge like that, it just makes us proud, right? Paul says, knowledge puffs up. And God wants us to obey Him from the heart. And what matters to God is not circumcision. But what really matters to God is obedience. And that's why Paul says in verse 25, circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Uh, a disobedient Jew is no better than an uncircumcised Gentile. If there is no lifestyle of obedience to God, then Paul says we don't belong to the people of God. But if an uncircumcised Gentile obeys God's word, then, surprise, surprise, God counts this uncircumcised Gentile as a part of his people. Verse 26, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted, be regarded as circumcision? Wow. You know, listen to what Paul is saying. Better to be an obedient Gentile, uncircumcised, than to be a disobedient, circumcised Jew. You know, if, if you are a Jew hearing that, it's like, whoa, that's really offensive. That's really offensive. Better to be someone who obeys than someone who goes to church regularly and disobeys. Better to be someone who obeys than someone who is baptized as a church member and disobeys. Right? I mean, this, this is, these are things that we, we don't like hearing. These are hard things for us to hear. And these, these are shocking words to the Jews that Paul is writing to. Like Paul says in Galatians 5, chapters, uh, verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith, obedience, love. I mean, that, that's what really matters to God. Not, not, not whether someone externally looks religious or not. So friends, what, what is the condition of our hearts before God this morning? Is, is our Christianity just external? Or, or, or is our Christianity driven by an inner life that knows God, that trusts Him, that rejoices in Him? If you read down in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul says these words, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of, you know, well, he says eating and drinking over there, you know, it's external forms of, being religious, but it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of, you know, blank. Fill, fill in the blank with any religious practice that we wrongly prioritize over Jesus Christ and the gospel. So, so think about it, you know, what, what are our hearts kind of drawn to that could masquerade as being spiritual? The kingdom of God is not a matter of these things, not, not a matter of external religious practices, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So the signs of spiritual life are not external, but the signs of real spiritual life are things like a humble dependence on Christ. A sign of spiritual life is that we desire to draw near to our Heavenly Father. We, we have confidence to come to Him. A sign of spiritual life is joy, that we rejoice in the fact that we know God and that His Son is for us. A sign of life is that we have peace with God and because we have peace with God, we have peace with other people. A sign of life is the fruit of the Spirit that, that comes out of our hearts. Things like, joy, like, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, these are all signs of life. They're not external forms, but they flow out from our hearts and they show that our hearts truly are given to God. So friends, being religious will do us no good. So what's, what's next for us? This brings us to our second point. We need God to truly transform us. So who are the true people of God? Right? Who, who are the true people of God? Paul says, hey, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, we, we can't tell just from appearances. We can't tell who God's people are just from appearances. So he says in verse 28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So just because I do Christian things doesn't necessarily mean that I'm really a Christian. Rather, God's people have real spiritual life that goes deeper than outward appearances. Now, verse 29 says, A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So who are the true people of God? The true people of God are those who have been changed on the inside by God himself. These are the true people of God. So if we belong to God, and Paul says, if, if we really belong to God, then our hearts have been circumcised. And what does it mean to have circumcised hearts? So God's Spirit has invaded our lives, it's come into our lives, and God's Spirit has replaced our spiritually dead, stony hearts with new hearts, with, with hearts of flesh that are spiritually alive. You know, he's, he's, raised us from, he's raised us from the dead. Once we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now we have been made alive by the Spirit of God. That's what it means to have circumcised hearts. We're no longer spiritually dead to God, but we are now alive to Him. And, and, and the Spirit has taken the Word of God, and the Word of God has been written on our hearts. So, so we don't just hear the word of God like an external thing, but, but now our hearts have the word of God and we respond to God. As we hear the word of God, we recognize, yes, God, that's, 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 that's your word. And I love your word because I love you. And, and because your word has been written on my heart, when I hear your word, I, I want to obey. I, I want to follow you. My, my heart gravitates towards you, God because you have written your word on my heart. That's what it looks like to have circumcised hearts. 
And because of this, our obedience is not just external, but our obedience is, is really from the heart. Right? We're not just keeping the, the letter of the law. Right? You know, so it's good, to, it's good to ask why we obey. Do we, do we obey because of fear of punishment? Do we obey because we are afraid of being found out? Do we obey because we are afraid of the shame of being found out? Or, or do we obey from the heart? You know, it's, it's a bit like driving and speeding. Do we, do we still keep to the speed limit if there's no speed camera present? <laughs> I know that's a struggle for me. <laughs> right, do we, do we really obey God? from the heart, or, or only obey when other people are watching. You know, the, the words of Psalm 119 are so helpful, right? The, the Psalm 119 tell us what it really looks like to love God's Word. You know, the psalmist says, I, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. So the true people of God will love and obey Him from their hearts. And this is why Paul speaks of the obedience of faith in Romans you know, Paul says when we, have, when we truly have faith in Jesus, his gospel takes root in our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. We are saved by faith alone, but this faith transforms us. So true saving faith is never alone. It, it always bears the good fruit of obedience in our lives. And indeed, the, the Old Testament looked forward to a time when God would renew his people's hearts in this way. A couple of verses up there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, right, that's very important, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them so they won't just get the law on two tablets of stone like they did at Mount Sinai. But this law is now internalized. They, they, they desire to know God and keep His word from their hearts. And because of that, God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart and, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God, God needs to intervene in our lives. Without Him putting His spirit in us, we will not walk in His ways. God is the one who causes us to walk in His ways when He puts His spirit in us. In us. And, and friends, the good news is that God has kept these promises from the Old Testament through the gospel. And this is really what it means to be converted. You know, what, what I've been talking about really is simply conversion. This is what conversion is, friends. Conversion is not about making a decision. Conversion is not just about saying a prayer, walking down the aisle. Conversion is not about doing all these things and then carrying on with life as though nothing has changed. That's not conversion. No, con the, the gospel is not like buying an insurance policy, right? You know, we, we don't just buy, you know, sometimes we buy an insurance policy and we put it on a shelf, we forget about it, and we go on with life as, as normal. 
Well, the gospel is not like that, friends. The gospel is not an insurance policy that we buy and forget. True conversion, when we really believe the gospel, true conversion involves true transformation. Because when God gives us His Spirit, when His Spirit enters our lives, I guarantee that His Spirit will always leave us changed. His Spirit will always transform us. True conversion will always lead to true transformation. You know, for some, this change could be obvious. You know, if God saves us from a really messy life, we, we, can, see really, we can see really obvious changes. There are dramatic changes in our lives. But for others, you know, if God saves us and, and we've been living in a Christian family our whole life, sometimes the change is less obvious because outwardly our lives don't look very different. But that doesn't make the change any less real. Right? There will be a real change of heart that God does by His Spirit. And friends, when we hear these things, I think we need to realize that we can't convert ourselves. You know, being religious will do us no good. We, we can't convert ourselves. We, we can't clean our lives up. No, no amount of religious observance is able to change our hearts. So how? So how? God must do it, right? God must do it. And the good news is that God has done it through His Son. You know, li listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In Christ also you were circumcised. In Christ you were circumcised. With a circumcision made without hands. You know, that circumcision made without hands is not physical circumcision, it's heart circumcision. So in Christ, our hearts can be circumcised. How did that happen? Paul says, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Now, that's an interesting phrase. The circumcision of Christ refers to his death on the cross. You know, in, in physical circumcision, a little bit of flesh was cut off you know, from, from, our, from, a, from a man's intimate parts. But in the case of Christ, not just a little bit of flesh was cut off, he himself was cut off. His life was taken from him. That's the circumcision of Christ. He was crucified, he died, and he died in order to bear the guilt and judgment of our sin. And, and God raised him from the dead to give us new life in the Spirit. And, and the Old Testament ritual of circumcision, of, of cutting off, was meant to point forward to an even greater cutting off, the cutting off of Jesus' life itself. Circumc the Old Testament ritual of circumcision pointed forward to the circumcision of Christ for us. He was cut off so that we don't have to be cut off. He was cut off so that our hearts can be circumcised. Therefore, now that Christ has come and because He has been cut off for us, we no longer need the physical ritual of circumcision, but what we really need is Jesus. Who we really need is Jesus. So, so, so just meditate on this amazing truth of the, gospel, of the gospel. If we are in Christ, then God is powerfully working in us by His Spirit. 
Therefore, we have the power to change. That's on the next slide. If we are in Christ, then God is powerfully working in us by His Spirit. Therefore, we have the power to change because of the circumcision of Christ for us. Friends, if we are in Christ, then He has given us His Spirit who transforms us from the inside out. So as we move, as we move to conclusion, just a couple of points to encourage us in our, in our walk this week and in the days to come. Here's encouragement for the tired. Encouragement for the tired. So friends, for some of us, does, does the Christian life feel like a never-ending to-do list? You know, we have all these spiritual disciplines that we do, like read the Bible, pray, go to church. Friends, are, are we trying to follow Jesus in our own strength? You know, just kind of doing these things in our own strength. Do we live and serve Jesus as though all these things depended on us? And maybe we're tired because of that. We, we feel burnt out. We feel really stretched. Friends, we, we need to hear this truth that the power to live the Christian life doesn't come from us. Jesus invites us to come to Him for rest. For rest. Rest for our hearts. Rest for our weary souls. Jesus invites us to come to Him, to ask Him to refresh us by His Spirit, to, to fill our hearts with love and joy. The Christian life is not just doing all these things. The Christian life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's encouragement for the discouraged. For some of us, we, we feel like giving up because we face the overwhelming burden of our sins. Or, or maybe we, we, we are burdened by the sins of others. A loved one that we may be concerned about, that we feel that we are powerless to do anything to change. You know, have we lost sight of Christ? And are we trying to change ourselves? Are we trying to sanctify ourselves by our own willpower, our resolutions, our rules, our disciplines? You know, we, we need to hear a text like this because it reminds us that the Spirit is the one who truly transforms us. Not, not what we do in our own strength, but the Spirit who works in us is the one who makes us holy. So friends, if you are discouraged this morning, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Depend on the power of the Spirit who gives us grace to become more like Jesus. Finally, an encouragement to those who may be complacent. Now, maybe there's some among us who become self-satisfied. Maybe some among us who become content with where we are spiritually. Now, do we, do, we, do we excuse ourselves by saying, you know, this is who I am. I can't change. Just take me as I am. So we need to be challenged by this truth, don't we, that, that we can change. And God wants us to change. God doesn't want us to settle for anything less. But God wants us to change and He has given us His Spirit to change us from within. God has given us His Spirit to empower us to become more and more like Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, then friends, we have no lack. We have all the resources we need 
in Christ to live a new life. Friends, if, if you are complacent, you have no excuse. Jesus gives you all that you need to live a life for His glory. This truth about who the people of God are you know, helps us to really understand our identity, who we really are in Christ. The church is a people transformed by faith in Jesus and the life-giving, life-changing power of God's Spirit. The church is not just a social gathering, not just people coming together on Sunday, but really it's a transformed people, transformed by the power of God's Spirit. And the only way we can be graced together is if God first changes us by His, by His grace. Being religious will not make the gospel attractive to the world. But if we live transformed lives as the church in the world, we will fulfill God's calling for us to display His glory. If we live out of the transformation that He works in us, that's how we fulfill our calling to bring glory to God. So friends, this is the good news of the gospel that we don't have to keep up appearances because Jesus is able and He's willing to give us new hearts. Friends, we we can take off the mask and we can put on Christ. Let's pray together. Let's quieten our hearts before God and come to Him and pray that He would search our hearts. Friends, God looks upon, man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon our hearts. And and there's nothing that we can do to hide ourselves from God. Our hearts are exposed to Him. He sees everything. And, And friends, He invites us now to come to Him honestly. to to lay our hearts bare before Him, to ask Him to search our hearts and to purify us from within. Let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Father, we come to You now. We've heard Your Word. And, and this indeed is a, is a difficult word for us. It cuts to our heart. Father, we pray that we would not uh, shy away from the truth of your word. Even though your word makes us uncomfortable, we pray that we would not uh, too quickly gloss over it. But Father, we pray that you would help us to pause and to ponder upon what you have spoken in your word. Father, indeed, you look upon our hearts and and what you desire from us is not mere external compliance to religious practices. What, What you're concerned about is not what we appear to be, but what you're truly concerned about is who we really are on the inside. And so, Father, as we come, we confess that we need your grace. We... We need your power of the Spirit to change us from within, 
so that we live lives that are pleasing to you inside and outside. Father, as our hearts are bowed before you, we pray that you would search us. Reveal to us, Father, if, if there is any way that is not pleasing to you, if, if we have strayed, if we have drifted, if we are trusting in religion rather than trusting in you and in your Son, we pray that you would make these things clear to us. Father, we plead with you that you, your Spirit would be poured out upon us, that we would turn to you afresh. Father, we know that repentance and faith are gifts from you, not things that we work out ourselves. So, Father, we pray that you would be gracious and merciful to give us these gifts. Father, help us to stop running away. Help us to stop hiding. And may we come to you with complete honesty, with brokenness of heart. Help us to cry out to you as the man did in that parable, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, draw us to yourself, we pray. Reveal yourself to us. Help us to see Christ and find in him true hope and life. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Indeed, in response, let us rise and sing the last song. We all bow down.